This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Crime and Horror Anthology Show. Stories about people caught in desperate times and only have one way out. I'm sure you're wondering why you received this tape from a random stranger. But is it really random? Am I really a stranger? Or are we connected in some way to a web of lies and deceit, possibly murder? You see, I hear things, see things. I know everything. To protect myself, I need these stories to be told. A year after the winds started blowing. A year after the voices could be heard howling through the night. A year after there was only sand. Endless, dry, sanctifying sand. The three of us made it to the Jersey Shore. I see a house just up the beach. I don't know if I can walk anymore. You don't have a choice, Sarah. We aren't leaving you here to die, Seth. Steady yourself on my arm. I'll try to help you up the hill. The door is locked! 
Not locked anymore. Richard! He doesn't just break the glass in the window, he pushes it out to litter the people's yard! <laughs> Come on. Both of you give me your hands, and I'll help you inside. The wind is blowing the sand through the broken window. Come here and help me move this cabinet in front of the window. There. That should do it. I'll find some candles and matches. It will be dark before long. <sighs> Two days of night. Sitting around doing nothing. Eating sardines and canned peaches. Ah, I don't think my stomach can handle much more of this type of food. Stop. Both of you. Just stop complaining. You know he doesn't like it when his flock complains. This house reminds me of Grandma's. Two-story ranch house. One floor had the kitchen, living room, two bedrooms. Bottom floor was the basement. Built into the beach. Just like this one. Remember, Richard? <laughs> Maybe it is your grandmother's house. <laughs> no. <sighs> that house is in Newport, Rhode Island. Maybe we should look for it. You know how far Rhode Island is from Jersey? <laughs> it would take too long to travel. Come on, it'll be fun. Besides, better than just wandering around. Gives us an actual purpose. Yeah. What do you say, Richard? Sounds crazy to me. We aren't just wandering around aimlessly, Sarah. Then what do you call it, Richard? We're looking for him. And when we find him, we are going to apologize as a human race. Don't you understand? If we don't, we're all going to die. The world will be destroyed. How... how will we know it's him? When we find him, we'll know. We'll know in our hearts. Our bodies will react differently than we do. Been a long time since we ran into another person. Six months, maybe? We ran into that teenage boy. I told you not to bring that boy up, Sarah. I can't help it, Richard. I still think of... It was disgusting what you two did. If it was so disgusting, why did it feel so natural? We were fortunate, with him showing the way.
we escaped. Me, Gina, and Sarah, among the first of his true believers. The wind kept coming, and with purifying sand, the means of our sanctification spreading inland from both coasts, spreading toward the coasts from the Great Plains, killing trees and smothering crops, and filling reservoirs and choking the air. The migrations began then, entire towns on the march, band after band of frenzied, doomed heathens in search of food and water and sanity in a world that seemed to have gone mad. Gina, Sarah, and I, the three of us, seemed luckier than most. Of course, it was not luck. The strength of our faith kept us alive. Through visions, he delivered us safely to those buildings that still stood, still had canned goods, water, and shelter from the wind. Please stop tossing and turning. I can't get comfortable. This bed is like a slab of marble. Hey. I'm so I'm sorry I hit you earlier. I know. I'm sorry I brought it up. Richard, when is this all going to end? I don't know, Sarah. Whenever we find him and apologize. God! Sarah, don't take his name in vain. We're not to say his name out loud. It's just... You say the same thing all the time. You're starting to sound like that guy on the radio when all this started last year. You got so angry when he called for a racial purge. He shot the radio. <laughs> if I knew then what I know now, I would have done what that man suggested. Oh, that was so funny, especially when Gina went on a rant and tried to claw your eyes out. <laughs> the two of you rolling around in that cabin, she kicked your ass. <laughs> I bet the two of you fought like that when you were kids. I'm... I'm not sure. Been so long I can't remember. Do you remember this? My hand doing this? Smack my hands. Listen. 
listen to them. I can't. I, I can't go on like this anymore. He knew what we were about to do. Speak to me. Why do you awaken me? I... I have done as you said, True One. I have built my homage to you. I have fashioned the statue from straps of wood, given you pieces of my clothes. I have even given you my blood as you commanded. What do you want? You know what I want. You know what I want to ask. Ask it! Please, stop the storm. At least, help us to safety. I require for this feat of miracles. Sacrifice in the name of my glory is required for any miracle. I can't do that. And why have you called me? Them. Richard is my brother. Sarah. Sarah's like a sister to me. I can't do it. When you have decided to end your misery and begin life of bliss with me, help them to divide their spirit for their bodies and bring them home to me. Then I can stop this storm. Call on me when you have made your decisions. I can't do it.
this wine is pretty good. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you're only saying that because you're drunk. The voices aren't calling out tonight. The wind seems to have subsided. Still, I hear the sand falling like pellets. Reminds me of the old days. The sound of hard-driven sleet on a pane of glass. When there was cold in winter. When there was snow. When people in a blizzard would gather round a hearth to make themselves merry. I'm not saying I miss those times. I'm just saying how the wind and sand sound. How if you closed your eyes, you could imagine fluffy snow piling up outside. Christmas Eve, and stockings hung by the fireplace with care. Richard, come play cards with us. What are you playing? I don't know. We're making it up as we go along. Hey, let's play poker. I haven't played that in a while. No betting. Okay. Want some wine? Yeah. Sure. Why not? This isn't wine. This is fermented apple juice. <laughs> Who cares? It's fermented enough to get you drunk. Richard drunk? Mr. Twelve Pack every two days? That's why you married me. So I could get you all the alcohol you wanted. You were a teetotaler when I met you. I wasn't allowed to drink. Or smoke or dance. My mom didn't believe in dancing. She believed in money. How many stepdads did you have before you were 12? <laughs> Richard. Okay, yes, my mom was married a few times. A few? Seven times is not a few. I like Sarah's mom. You like everyone, Gina. <laughs> What's wrong with that? You don't like anyone. That's not true. I must like you. I could have left you in the city to die. Richard. You don't mean that. He doesn't mean that, Gina. Yes, he does. Richard means everything he says. He has very little regret about any of his actions. You should know this, Sarah. You're married to him. Hey, Richard, we found some cigars in the basement. Why don't you go get them? Cigar? <laughs> Haven't had a good cigar in a long time. No! <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get them. 
No, Gene. It's obvious you are intoxicated from the apple juice. I can get them. Well, sit down and enjoy the game. <laughs> Please, Richard, I can get the cigars. I know exactly where they are. Richard, jeez. Why are you acting so guilty? What the hell is going on? No, Richard, don't go down there. Don't go down there. Don't go down there. Oh, Gina, what have you done? I knew it! It's... it's so ugly, Richard. Richard, is that... Blood? Yeah. Yeah, that's Gina's blood, all right. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! I fucking knew it! An idol, Sarah. My own sister worshipping an idol. The false one! Richard! Richard! What are you going to do? Don't go... Come ah, here. Let go of my hair, you motherfucker! Richard, ah, let her go. Let go. Stop let this. Let go of my hair, you motherfucker! Ow! Ah, Richard, let go let of Gina my hair, go. you motherfucker! Stop dragging Gina across the floor. Let me go! Ah, let me go! Let me go, you motherfucker! Let me go! Let me go! Ow! Since you want to worship the false one, you can stay down there with your idol forever! had started. So many were like Gina. So many had turned their backs completely on him, and turned toward the false one, in the foolish hope that in that direction they would be safe, and the winds would stop, and the sands would retreat, and they could get back to the business of their lives. Candlelit vigils were in every public building. The airwaves were jammed with entreaties, offerings, Services that went on through the night. Processions filled the city streets, already covered with a growing layer of sand and debris. Many of us who remained true were initially ridiculed and later arrested, and more than one of us put to death in gruesome spectacles that filled stadiums and malls. Gina, honey... Please stop talking to her. You're only encouraging her. This... this is insane! 
she did this to herself. You saw the idol she made. You know what he asked her to do. No, what? What, what are you talking about? I heard her talking to herself. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought maybe it was a dream. I wasn't sure if I was lucid at the time, or... Regardless, I put things together when I saw that idol. What was she asked to do, Richard? The false one asked her to offer us up as a sacrifice. No, Sheena would not do that, Richard. She loves us. You really don't know a person until they're under the wrong influence. I still don't believe it. All of this is... is too surreal. Well, believe it, Sarah. It's all happening in front of your eyes. Together, we prayed. I don't know how sincere Sarah was, but together, we spoke the words he instructed us to say. This was the sixth night Gina was barricaded, with no windows and no other ventilation in that cellar. We heard her the first half of the night. Then, nothing. She was silent. No scratching on the cellar door. No shrieking. No breathing. Sarah and I fell asleep late that night. The voices of the dead did not bother us. It was dawn when I awoke. Sarah still slumbered. Something had happened while we slept. The wind had stopped. The sand as well. You could see the ocean. For the first time in a long time, 
you could breathe and not choke or cough. I'm sure you could see the mummified bodies of those who had doubted him. There were no more voices of the dead. Mostly, you could see one great white landscape, like a Vermont village after snow. But something else had happened that night. I awoke and I was naked. Sarah was naked as well. We were in each other's arms, and I vaguely remember being not only in her embrace, but doing something very disgusting. You know what you have to do. I have prayed. You did not answer me. You spoke to me as if you were speaking to the false one. No, I would never insult you. I have given you this world back. And this is how you repay me? I have repented. I have repented. It is not enough! I... I... I, I don't know what you want. She aroused you. You have to make a sacrifice. There is no other way. I... I am very confused. I... I don't... She is my... wife. Where... You sinned! You know what must be done. I found a knife in the kitchen, one with a long wooden handle and a rusty blade a foot long. I went back to Sarah, knelt beside her softly. I found her left arm hanging from the covers. I mustered up enough strength and pressed the blade at the wrist of the hand to hit around me. Ha, ha, ha.
this way, Sarah. I waited for Sarah to regain consciousness. And then I led her by her good arm, outside in the bright new day. She did not protest. I knew in time he would welcome Sarah back in his prayer. We walked along the beach, walked south, walked toward the land. Land he had promised us. We who are his followers. Blood Noir, Episode 10, We Who Are His Followers, featuring Pete Lutz as a stranger, based on a short story by G. Wayne Miller, music by Carpenter's Notch, written and directed by Mark Slade, and starred David Schutz II as Richard, Rachel Rumler as Sarah, Laura Nicole as Gina, Jeff Niles as the False One and Him. Blood Noir theme by Carpenter's Notch and Audionautics.com. It was 2.30 in the morning and Barry was still on GarageSale.com. Lily awoke, saw the quick flash of light on their darkened bedroom wall from the computer's monitor. She sat up, eyes barely in focus. Her blonde hair was matted to the left side of her face. Lily rubbed her eyes. Barry was shirtless. Lily saw mounds and mounds of hair on his back, each strand waving at her because of the central air working overtime on such a hot summer night. She watched him nod his head and began typing fast. Lily rose from the bed and stood. The strap from her nightgown slid from her shoulder and momentarily revealed her right breast. She coughed to get his attention, but Barry was caught up in something. She rolled her eyes and placed her breast back into her nightgown. "'What are you doing?' Lily said, annoyed by the small amount of attention from Barry. Barry jumped at the sound of her voice. "'Nothing!' he squeaked. He retrieved his man's voice and said again, "'Nothing, honey.' Lily walked over and peered over Barry's shoulders. Oh, she said, disappointed. I thought I would catch you looking at porno or having an online affair like normal people. She walked into the bathroom. He could hear running water in the toilet. Instead, she appeared again in the bedroom after a loud flush. I find you still on GarageSale.com, bidding on crap we don't need. It's not crap. Barry stretched his arms, bones cracking like incidental music from a scene in a movie. I'm a collector, Lily. Everything I buy is classy pop culture. Yeah, like Ernst Borgnine's underpants he wore in the movie Ice Station Zebra? Don't mock me. I did find a buyer for that item. Old Mr. Coleman down the street gave you five bucks for that item. 
So, he's a collector too. Barry, he's a 75-year-old gay man who talks to a phonograph of Truman Capote. That's not normal? Lily stared at Barry for a moment. There's no getting through to you, is there? She wearily climbed back into bed. We have a garage full of stuff we can't use, will not use, and no interest in them other than you bought them from GarageSale.com. You will be an alone divorced weirdo trying to sell a comb once used by Danny DeVito for pennies to buy your next meal. I'm just warning you. She removed her nightgown and threw it to the floor. Now get in bed and make love to me, and I won't divorce you. Barry's face fell. He sighed, turned off the computer. Okay, he said with the enthusiasm of a man about to be hung from the neck at the gallows. In the morning, Lily was awakened by Barry's cries of joy. She bolted upright in bed, looking around, expecting something other than her husband glued to the computer monitor, laughing and high-fiving the cat. I did it! Barry screamed, and the cat ran off with its tail in a question mark. Lily crawled out of bed and put on her nightgown. She heard herself say it, but didn't want to ask him. What did you do? Knowing that was a mistake. I want a saxy. Lily shrugged. What the devil is a saxy? Barry tapped his forehead with his index finger and thought a moment. Well, he started. Thought some more. It's a... Uh... God, Barry, don't strain yourself. <laughs> Lily. You don't even know what you bought, you idiot? Lily angrily sashed into the bathroom. I do too know what I bought, he called out to her. Barry looked at the computer screen. It read, GarageSale.com. Congratulations, you have won this item. Saxy, a subhuman that grants any number of wishes. It requires very little demand of you, and with its power of wish fulfillment, could change your life forever. Lily looked at Barry stone-faced. You are an idiot, Barry Hughes. She clicked off the screen for GarageSale.com and signed in to her email. Why would you do that? Barry was puzzled. We could use this. Barry, this kind of thing doesn't exist. Just like Ewoks, leprechauns, and unicorns. Unicorns did exist, Barry exerted. They died out with the dinosaurs. I saw their definition in the dictionary. Why did I marry you? Lily checked her email. Several from her mother she didn't wish to read and far too many Facebook comments on a picture she uploaded of the cat. Barry thought a moment, then he spurted out, Because you love me. That's why you married me. Lily scoffed. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Might be because of your butt. Lily, I need some gas money. She sighed. Get my card, honey. She went back to answering the email to her mother. Try to have a nice day at work, okay? Barry placed his clip-on tie, made a sour face. Today is 10% off for senior citizens at the store. Those blue-haired old ladies creep me out when they get too fresh. Lily laughed. <laughs> That's what you get when you're cute and the assistant manager of a grocery store. Yeah, they sense my power. Barry leaned over Lily's shoulder and kissed her goodbye. I'll have dinner ready for you when you get home, she called out to him as he went out the front door of the apartment. Barry waved to her and closed the door. Barry came home about six that day. He managed to pass through the front door of his apartment and plopped down on his chair. Tired hands reached for the remote, but dropped it a few times. Retrieving the remote control the last time was when Barry noticed the old naked man lying on the couch. The old man was blind. His body no longer obeyed his brain's command to move. His hands and feet were drawn in from horrible arthritis. Breathing was very difficult for his inflamed lungs. 
Barry stared at the old man, which was lying on his back, breathing heavily. The old man sounded like a vacuum cleaner with a golf ball stuck in the hose. It didn't register to him who it was. He remembered that Lily said her father was dead, so that's not who it was. Ditto for his father. Was it the homeless guy from down the street that kept badgering Lily for cheese? Who was this old geezer, and why did he smell like a goat? Lily? Barry called to her. There was a rumbling from their bedroom, and she appeared in the doorway of the living room. Yes, dear? Lily said with a smile on her face. Barry hit a button on the remote, and the television turned on. Immediately, he began to channel surf, watching the screen as a visage of changing faces and body parts, along with different locations and products, appeared and disappeared. Barry never once took his eyes from the glowing box. Who is the old naked man on our couch? He said calmly. What old naked man, Barry, my love? Lily folded her arms across one another. The one right there. Barry pointed the remote to the old man who was now coughing and spitting something up, then swallowing it back in, repeating the process several times. That old naked man, Lily. Oh, yeah, him. Barry moved his eyes to meet Lily's cold gaze. Are you going to tell me who he is? It's your package, dummy. She walked back to the bedroom and slammed the door. Barry dropped the remote and jumped out of his chair with childish enthusiasm. He rushed to the old man and looked him over. You're kidding me, Barry cried out, laughing wildly. This is awesome, fantastic. Have you tried him out yet? Barry noticed she wasn't in the living room anymore. He searched for the box the old man was shipped in. He found it behind the couch. Barry shrugged. Hmm, not as big as I would have thought for a man shipped in. He found a note handwritten. No refunds. Of course, Barry shook his head. Lily appeared again. Why did you do this? Because I always wanted someone to grant me wishes, Barry said, matter of fact. You used my credit card, Lily said. How else would I get this wish master, Barry grinned at her. Lily stepped forward and raised her fist to hit Barry. I wish I had a thousand dollars every time you did something stupid. As she said that, her fist popped Barry in the nose and several bills from the Treasury Department appeared in her balled-up hand. Barry fell on his backside hard. He realized his wife had just punched him out. Barry! Lily screamed, her voice cracking at the last syllable. Did you see what just happened? Barry was shocked. He felt the pain in his bloodied, pulsating nose attacking every one of his senses. I saw my wife hit me, he said in that hurt little boy voice he uses when he's upset. My loving wife hit me with her fists. No! Money appeared out of thin air in my hand. Lily helped Barry to his feet. He ran for the bathroom. Oh my God! Lily was writhing in joy. I can't believe this is happening! Barry darted back in the living room, holding a towel to his nostril. You didn't have to hit me, he exclaimed. Sit down, honey. Lily took Barry by the arm and placed him in his chair. She cocked his head back and held the towel to his nose herself as she sat on the arm of the chair. I'm sorry, baby. I got carried away. You know how angry I get at the simplest things. I don't mean to hurt you. You know I never intentionally mean to hurt you. Barry thought a moment. He sighed. It's okay, I guess. Lily rubbed her hand on his shoulder. You're a real sport, Barry. He nodded. Yeah, too much of one. So you think the old man granted the wish? Lily shrugged. You said he was a... Saxy, Barry said. Right. Lily stood, touched her lips with the towel, and then threw it at Barry, hitting him in the chest. A saxy. There's no restrictions on how many wishes you can have? Yeah, Barry said with affirmation. 
That's what GarageSale.com said, he said. He began following Lily as she paced the room. No, she said. There's no way you can get all that without a catch. No way. Gotta be a catch somewhere. Lily stopped, turned to Barry. He lifted an eyebrow. Why can't we just enjoy the wishes and not worry about consequences that may not exist? Lily looked at Barry incredulously. He drew an air and held it, waiting for Lily to downsize him for the statement. Then she smiled, shrugged her shoulders, and laughed. Yeah, she said. Why not enjoy it? Yeah, Barry repeated her. Why not enjoy it? I wish I had the most expensive bottle of wine on the dining table, Lily stated. They walked into the dining room. There, the bottle sat, already uncorked. Lily and Barry burst into laughter at the same time. They hugged each other. Barry took her by the hand and placed her at the table. He kissed Lily softly. She turned red in the face and turned away from him as she always did after he kissed her like that. I wish a steak dinner and shrimp was on the table, Barry said. And they were not surprised when it appeared on the table. As they cut into their steak dinner, Lily looked into Barry's eyes and told him she loved him. Barry awoke in the morning in a frenzy. He stumbled out of bed, his vision severely diminished. He felt his way from the bedroom to the living room, shouting for Lily. In his trek was a lot of things they wished for and a lot of money laying around. TVs, stereos, different foods. A Cadillac outside parked where his van was. Clothes from the best designers in the world. Jewelry for him and Lily. Twenty miles away, a three-story mansion belonged to them as well. Barry crawled on his hands and knees, calling for Lily. He was stopped cold when he felt a man's leg. It was the old man, dressing in one of Barry's suits. He heard Lily moaning. She was lying on the couch, completely naked, because clothing hurt every part of her body. It was difficult for her to breathe. The air was difficult to catch. Her lungs inflamed. Her tongue was ravaged with cancerous sores. Her hands and feet were drawn up from intense arthritis. The old man helped Barry up, hugged him as he spoke in broken English. Greed, he paused, laughed. <laughs> it destroys the body, eh? The old man left Barry standing there in almost complete darkness. Where did you go? Barry screamed over and over, weeping. Lily still moaned, tried very hard to put sentences together. Her broken body would not obey her brain's commands. GarageSale.com Two saxies for sale. Bid ends tomorrow, 11 p.m. He was tall, very tall. The man they call Jaron. He stood at the exit of the train cart and glanced over at several corners of the train station. He was mustached, balding on top, hair parted in a ridiculous schoolboy fashion. His face showed of a man very serious and stern. His suit was a bland gray with a fat blue tie that most definitely didn't match. Jaron found a cab parked a few feet away from the newsstand behind the train station, the only cab not bothered by anyone. He walked up to the cab, opened the door to the left rider's side, and slid in on the noisiest vinyl covering he'd ever come across. The cab driver was in the middle of his lunch, a messy hamburger where the saw sat comfortably on his chin. I'm not on duty, the cabbie said, his mouth spitting out chewed bun on his shirt. He casually wiped it off. He was looking at Jaron in the rearview mirror. Jaron sighed. Look, I need a ride into Vandy. I'll pay double the rate. The cabbie finished his burger in one swallow. When he was done, he laughed. My God, friend, no one rides into Vandy. 
Not in the least. It's a good 56 miles from this train station. It's also the most boring town in America. As you say, but I still need a ride. It includes the tip. Jaron avoided the cabbie's gaze in the mirror. It would have to, friend. On top of the fare and double the rate. He started the engine and the cab coughed and spat out a dark cloud of fumes that nearly choked Jaron to death. And away we go, the cabbie said in a sing-song voice. A few miles down a road that took them across a hill of green grass and cows with eyes the color of the black hole. Still, Jared would not look his driver in the eyes. This annoyed the cab driver to no end. For you to pay this amount of money, not rent a car, must be pretty important to go to Vandy, the cabbie said. Jaron thought a moment. He kept his eyes on the scenery. Yes, I suppose it must be, he retorted. The cabbie waited a few minutes. He laughed, looked in the rearview mirror. Why didn't you rent a car, friend? Jaron breathed through flared nostrils. I can't drive, he said. You're kidding. At your age. The cabbie turned around briefly to see Jaron's reaction. Business there? Jaron thought again. His eyebrows lowered. I'm not sure why I'm going there, he said. He saw a pair of confused eyes in the rearview mirror. He looked away. Yes, business. The cabbie felt the iciness of Jaron's voice. He shrugged and said, I don't care what you do. The ride was a long one for both driver and rider. Still, almost any conversation would end with a false start. The jazz that came from the radio annoyed both, so it would get switched off several times. Jaron nearly fell asleep staring out the window a number of times. He wasn't sure, but he felt whenever his eyes were getting, so too was the cabbies, as the car would jerk back and forth on the road between lanes. In two hours by the back roads, they reached Fandy. The cab pulled into a town reminiscent of white picket fences and clean roads, the stuff only existing in most mines and TV land. The cabbie seemed to get excited. Man, I haven't been here in years. The cab pulled into the parking lot of the only hotel in town. Jaron paid the cabbie. The stack of bills rested in the palm of his hands, then rolled them up in a rubber band and placed them in a cigar box under his seat. Hey, you have a nice visit, mister. The cabbie turned to Jaron, who had already slammed the door to the cab. Jaron walked into the lobby. A group of elderly people dressed in black parted in the middle for him to pass. He stood at the desk, waiting for the two clerks to acknowledge him. One clerk, a woman with dyed black hair fashioned into a beehive, looked at Jaron as if she'd seen the tax man at her doorstep. The other clerk, a man dressed in a black tuxedo, had eyes that bugged out of his head and was constantly blinking. Excuse me, Jaron said. Could I have some service, or do you have to be a member? They exchanged looks, but the male clerk stepped forward. He blinked twice, said in a high-pitched voice, very droll, sir. I'd like a room, Jared said. They exchanged looks. Whispers came from the circle of elderly people. The male clerk blinked twice. I'm afraid I haven't any rooms available, sir. He blinked twice more. Oh, no. Jaron gave a tug at the lips of what resembled a smile, but it could also have been gas. There are very few vehicles in the parking lot. This, what I believe, is the only hotel in town. That matters not, he blinked twice. The parking extends down the street, sir. We have a town pageant, sir. Folks from the adjoining counties are also here for the occasion, he blinked twice more. 
I was not aware there was holiday. Good day, sir. He blinked twice, went back to the female clerk and their conversation. Jaron was dumbfounded. He'd never experienced such rudeness. As he left the hotel, he glanced back. The circle of elderly folk were staring. One lady had her head bowed, mumbling a prayer. Jaron had no idea where to go next. He decided to walk toward the courthouse. In a long row of houses, he'd seen a cafe in the tradition of a malt shop. He'd passed a drug store where four men, dressed in black and blue suits, sat in rocking chairs. Excuse me, gentlemen, Jaron stepped toward them. They exchanged uneasy looks. Could any of you point me in the direction of a bed and breakfast? What the hell would you want with a bed and breakfast room? One of them said in a shocked voice. That's a silly question, Jaron fired back. I'll tell you, son, but I don't think Haley will give you a room, another said, stubbed out his cigar. Why wouldn't she rent me a room? Jared was exasperated. They exchanged looks. The third man sighed. He stood, pointed. Go a ways, two blocks up this road. You see a sign for Lafferty Avenue? Take that. The third house on the left. You'll know her house. She's got a sign that says Haley's Place. How convenient, Jaron said sarcastically. Thank you, gentlemen. He walked away, knowing they were staring at him. Jaron knocked on the door of a quaint two-story house that was painted powder blue. The curtains in the front room moved slightly, placed back carefully. The door opened and a woman in her early fifties, dressed in black, appeared smiling. Yes, she said in broken English. She focused her eyes on the man standing at her door and her breath exited her body uneasily. She stepped back and tried to close the front door. Wait! Jaron caught the door with a hand. Please, I'm only here for a room. They struggled with the door, the woman finally winning the battle. I have no rooms left, she screamed and slammed the door shut. Jaron walked away, running a hand across an exasperated face. I only want lodging for the night, he said to no one in particular. What's the matter, friend? Can't get a place to stay? Jaron looked up and it was the cabbie who brought him into town. Jaron smiled slightly. It seems I rub people the wrong way. He walked up to the cab that was idling in the street. He leaned in, resting his arm on the side mirror. You haven't left yet? Nah, I'm enjoying this place. People are friendly. Well, to me. Food here is wonderful. Gee, mister, I don't know what you did to these people, but they treat me like a king. The cabbie thought a second. He slapped his hand on the steering wheel. I got it. Come with me and I'll get you some food and a room. Jaron was more than willing. Like a child who received the best Christmas present ever, he giggled as he jumped in the back seat of the cab. An hour later, Cabby and Jaron were parked along a curb by the empty school grounds. Jaron was slumped over in the back seat with his hand casually draped over his face. The cabbie fiddled with the car radio. Neither was saying much. Cabby couldn't stay quiet for long. Like I said... I don't know what you did to these people, Cabby said, almost in a whisper. I didn't do anything to these. Oh, hell with it. Jaron kicked the back seat. You want me to take you back to the train station? Say where you're from? Jaron sighed. I don't remember, he said, lost in thought. Okay, don't tell me. No, no, I swear, I, I don't remember. I look in my wallet. It says on an ID card, I live in Santa Barbara. I really don't remember. Cabby reached back there, took the wallet from Jaron. He looked through it. 
John Jaron, 5504 Furrow Drive, Santa Barbara, California. Looks like this is your wife. Cabby showed him the photo through the plastic casing inside the wallet. A wedding picture of Jaron holding hands with a young blonde woman dressed as a bride. He is a groom. No pics of any kids, but one of a great dame. You really don't remember anything? Job, parents, where you grew up? Jaron shook his head. Geez, friend, you got it bad. Hey, the town pageant is starting. Let's go look. Cabby jumped out of the car, starstruck. Jaron reluctantly followed Cabby out of the car and down the street. He stood beside Cabby and hundreds of onlookers as a band of people dressed in black walking behind an old hearse led by a horse and a driver with a whip in one hand, reins in the other. The onlookers were tossing lilies at the feet of a woman walking directly behind the hearse. Ain't that something, friend? Right out of a PBS drama, huh? Reenactment of some kind. The cabbie noticed Jaron wasn't at his side anymore. Jaron had rushed out into the crowd of marching people in the street, fighting his way to the woman right behind the hearse. When he reached her, Jaron turned her around, tore the veil from her face. It was the bride from his wedding picture. He fell backwards onto the back of the hearse. The horse had stopped in its tracks. Jaron peered inside the hearse window. He saw himself lying there in the velvet lining of the hearse, arms folded across the front of his black suit, eyes closed, resting so peaceful. This segment is brought to you by The Kung Fu Movie Draft House. Screening cheesy martial arts films in a dark, smoky bar 24 hours a day. The Hooray Television Network, now showing the hit reality series, The Real Lunch Ladies of PS165. And coming soon from Repellent Pictures. She's part spider, part snake, and all badass politician. From the people who brought you Triskaidekaphobia, she's... Arachno-Anaconda-Lisa. And now, back to our show. This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network.